Welcome to the My Risk Advisor podcast. This podcast is for the Australian financial planning ecosystem and we focus heavily on life risk insurance. So whether you've been around for many, many years or you're just starting out, I think you'll get heaps of value out of this podcast. I'm your host, Phil Thompson, and I am a life risk insurance specialist, so I geek out on insurance all day, every day. Hey there, Australia. On today's podcast, I am talking with Catherine Hayes, who is the Director and Financial Advisor at Hayes & Co Insurance Services. And we've also got Sean Clements, who is a Financial Advisor and Director and Specialist in Risk Protection and North of the River Financial. Two good friends of mine. uh, And I got them on to kick off with the start of this season to talk about the new income protection policies and how some advisors dealt with the transition from the old income protection policy into the new ones Uh, and I start off with this interview talking about how we went with lead up into 1st of October. Before we get started, I just want a quick shout out to Zurich and OnePath. So we just can't do this podcast without uh, their support. So I just want to start by saying thank you. Zurich and OnePath are your partners in life and also proud supporters of the My Risk Advisor podcast. So there were 15 new income protection products over 11 different insurers, guys. So first question, how did you go in the lead up to the 1st of October, the chaos shenanigans that was, and then how have you gone post 1 October? We'll start with you, Sean. I'd been talking about it, as you know, for at least a couple of years. Um, you know, So that December that they uh, released the changes, I sort of started writing about it. And, you know, really not a lot of, um, you know, panic, I suppose, after the initial April 1st. So April 1st was mental and then coming up to October, didn't really hear much of it until about August and then it went absolutely off the chain. So the usual three, four, five, six months that we'd usually get, um, well, what is usual, got compressed into about six weeks. Uh, So we're about five, six times busier than what we've ever been ever. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it basically came down to triaging everything as it came through and just saying, look, I can deal with that now. I can't deal with that now. We'll just deal with it in October. And it was very boogeyman on October 1st. We weren't quite sure what this new stuff was going to look like. That was the big, like, I don't know, you might as well just get it, then we can circle back around to it again post-October. And we're cleaning up a lot of that now. How'd you go, Catherine? The lead up to October for us was, it was pretty crazy because we had that crazy window last year with the end of agreed value when that, um, I thought, I thought that was busy. <laughs> this, uh, this was next level busy. So I probably had a little bit more lead up time. Um, so things started to get busy for us from July. I think July, my initial appointments are booked out for about 10 weeks in advance. So it was pretty crazy. And, um, we managed to get, everything uh, lodged in time by 1 October, but same thing, triage. If someone came to me and they didn't want income protection, which is pretty rare, so I think oh, there's only two people we said um, come back to us after um, 1 October, and same thing with reviews. If it was reviews just because it was something that didn't wasn't time sensitive um, with the changes, yeah. we said, look, um, we're focusing on these changes and people who do really need help who don't have any cover in place who want it, we needed to focus on that. But in the end, I think we lodged close to a year's worth of business over a 12-week window. So yeah, that was yeah. pretty insane. Yeah, was, yeah, similar to us, we we were 
yeah, hectic, busy uh, leading up to to one October, and yeah, all the all the lump sum cover was like, come back in a in a month or two, please don't die in the meantime, and then we'll <laughs> <laughs> and then we'll chat then. Um, yep. And so we, you said you were booked out like ten weeks in advance. How many new client appointments do you like? What's your cap on a weekly basis for the new client appointments? Uh, I ha- I run different weeks, so you know I have a kid week and a kid free week. So um, depending on which week it is, um, but generally I would I would of course have a mix of appointments. But um, in that lead up, I don't do after hours appointments or weekends. But in the final few weeks, I was. Um, yeah. So all the norm just went out the window. Yeah, yeah, we we do Zoom meetings for everyone, and I think I recorded like. 20 SOAs just to get them out because, you know, I didn't have any time in my calendar to, to uh, actually see the client. So I just record a video, say, let's jump on the phone after this. Hopefully you understand what the heck's going on and, and we'll go from there. Yeah, no, I wasn't. Um, I think I did about three time criticals in the end. Um, yeah. And uh, that was just with uh, insurers turning out the client underwriting needs had to go with one of the insurers that were cutting off their applications early. Mm. So um, so we just had to do some time criticals on those. But other than that, I wasn't prepared to sacrifice uh, the process in terms of making sure that everything was being done through the normal processes that we would do. But that extra lead time really did help. Yeah, we live. I lived by that. Uh, our spreadsheet we did internally of w- w- when's a deadline for every insurer, and mm. it was yeah chaos. So how did you go post one October? What was your game plan leading into all the new products? We get a good sense of it. What what was that kind of game plan for you guys? For me, I feel like I probably had a little bit of a heads up over um, more than most. That was just because I've got some involvement on the joint task force, which was the AFA and the FPA coming together with things like Actuaries Institute you know, chatting to insurers and treasury and the like. Um, so we were on this early, early days. So I knew what the changes were going to come in. So when they finally did come around, I felt like I was across most of them um, by the time they did come in. So, um, but it was fairly tight-lipped for most of the insurers about what was going to come in once it did. But I probably got a bit more of a sneak peek than more than most. Yeah. Sean, how'd you go? Uh, look, honestly, Come October first, I just deflated like a balloon, right? So um, we'd been that slammed for that period of time. I spent two weeks in hospital in September for for giggles and doing <laughs> doing Zoom appointments with a drip hanging out of my arm. Um, so that was committed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was fun. Um, but you know, it, it was really a, you just have to stop, reset, and reframe it. Um, because the whole idea of we can sit there and say, oh, well, if you had gone in last week, it would have been like this. And when mm. somebody asks you a question, you say, um, maybe, and just becoming familiar with the language again uh, is is the is still a challenge. Um, but taking, we probably took a month where we didn't do any new business. Uh, so October, I did nothing. I think we did one new thing. Um, yeah. yeah. And just went, yeah. look, I don't know. Let's just work on this for six weeks, yeah. and then we'll get back to you. Unfortunately, that information's reusable, so it's not six weeks on one client file because that would be probably pretty heavy billing if I did that. Um, but it was, you know, refamiliarizing ourselves and saying, well, what works and what doesn't. Uh, and yeah. a lot of clients just, for lack of a better term, just don't care and say, well, what, what happened? What happened yeah. in October? And you're like, oh, don't worry, just forget about it. Yeah, I mean, it's good that you're still in the hospital and doing this interview. So, thank you for that. Uh, I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've decked it out a little bit since. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's a nice and fancy. 
one of those private suites with advantages being married to a doctor. <laughs> yeah. yeah, for us, one of, one of the things that we did, I, I thought I was a bit cute. I was like, oh, look, well, we won't do any new business for two weeks. We'll just read every PDS. We'll have a meeting with every single kind of BDM, bring product in. And, and it was much, much longer than two weeks. Like I spent the two weeks just trying to get a, a rough gauge on how IP would impact the TBD policy so I could update our needs analysis. Like that took us a long time just to go, okay, what are the mechanisms with the income protection with the tapering down and with the different levels and how does that impact my my actual needs analysis calculator? And that literally took me about two two weeks to build and amend and fix that actual calculator to go, all right, I'm comfortable with all these variables that we can kind of plug into our calculator to then go back to our recommendation and then now let's actually work out what the heck these features are and, and stuff. Mm. So it took us ages. Yeah, oh. I plan to take a week off to get across the PDSs. <laughs> yeah, I still needed more time than that. But my biggest thing was I gave my time, my staff time off because that we were all doing overtime. But yeah, and we put emails on saying, you know, after working so hard, everybody needed a break. And um, which is good because we're already back to being busy again. And now it's all dealing with a new products that we've gotten mm. around but what are we like it's you know it's been two months these products yeah. have, have been here and it's only just getting to that being really confident in the knowledge of them yeah there's still a lot of untested ground and this is the problem in the whole suited occupation and the, you know, a lot of the language that we look at we just don't know how that's going to play out in claims so yeah. when people say well how does this look i'm assuming it's similar to the any occupation term of old but until this hits the road, I mean, what do you know? I mean, when's the first claim coming? I, I don't well, know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's where, like, where I've had doubts on wording, I've written into the case managers and said, um, so let me play out a scenario for you and uh, get their feedback on it. And so I'm basically treating it right. So that's the PDS. That's what it means. And then I'm saving that email. <laughs> so, yeah. so if I ever get that situation, I'm going, hey, but this is what you said and what it means. Yeah, and I guess leading on that, like how how is how are these new products? How are you thinking about the actual recommendation moving forward? Is anything changed from your previous philosophy on what you thought was important and now what you think is important? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, as far as the TPD side, I haven't really changed my view on that. That the strategy that we use around that is still the same, but it's it might be it's more smaller tweaks. So, for example, if I'm talking about a trauma event and I'm talking about being a, a temporary window, like a couple of years before you know whether you're either going to get better, it becomes a permanent disability or it kills you. But during that window, we might talk about either, you know, if you can't handle a 25% drop in your income, which was the old, you know, conversation. Now it might be saying, um, can you handle a 30% or a 40% drop in your income? Um, and then that kind of freaks people out. Most people can't live on uh, a 40% drop in their income at the best of times. Hmm. So having that conversation, so our like trauma top up or the need to have an extra supplement to offset the drop. Um, obviously, that's not going to cover all scenarios, but in that scenario, people are now valuing that more in the conversations that we're having. Um, but it's like that whole, you know, the way I viewed it is most policies were generally pretty good, right? Um there were some differences of view between them, but now it's not. And then it was just really about looking at the underwriting differences, um, making sure you had someone that if you could avoid an exclusion or someone's a bit yeah. heavy over here, you know who to go with. 
But now with all the different offsets, um, you know, some doing uh, the different definitions of own and any and how long it lasts, um, offset ongoing income, all of those things, and especially parental leave, that's, I think, the really dangerous one that people are not grasping, the dangers around how parental leave is treated with the new um, income look-back periods. Yeah. Uh, all of those things. So I'm asking people about their investment um, plans. If they're like a property investor, I'm asking them about how much sick leave they have because in Canberra that's a big deal. There's a lot of people with, you know, 1,000-plus sick leave. Yeah, um, no, And if you can't find a waiting period to match, that's just that's a complaint waiting to happen. If people are expecting to get paid, asking them about their parental leave plans and then we've got the product overlay and the underwriting on top of that. So and I pricing. Think, yeah, and pricing. <laughs> Once you so, do all that work, then so there is, is it affordable? There is more layers. So I feel like it's much easier to rule out insurers but you can end up being left with no solution quite fits yeah, yeah. so you're going yeah. okay what's more issue like is it the parenting issue is it the own occupation is it the sick leave and the income offset um you know so there's more complexity to finding the right insurer now it's doable but it just takes more time yeah for yourself sean is there anything that you're doing uh much different now moving forward with the new products not really um the Reality. I mean, is, you just had a dartboard in the past, and yeah, you yeah, just get that same type. Had a crack at it, right? I mean, <laughs> so we've only got one type of client, right? So we do the same thing over and over again and repeat it. So essentially, it was just this process of just ruling out one after the next, after the next, after the next, until we got down to our top three. Um, so this is who's going to suit this, and then there's like you say, maternity leave and long service and things like that that are going to fit, but. You know, it, it it's pretty much rinse and repeat sort of process, I suppose, once you've got yeah. that down. So if I'm running into a carpenter at one minute and then I'm running into another person, a, 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 you know, a brain surgeon on the other end, it'd be very difficult, I suppose. Um, probably the biggest issue at the moment is comparing past products to current products and trying to see how those will look. But for the most part, um, you know, with uh, reduced income, I'm talking people down on a regular basis and saying, look, if you can't live on 240 grand a year, work it out. Like, you know, after we've cleared your debts and you've probably got a trauma payout as well, you can get by. Yeah. You know, so um, generally speaking, we just haven't changed that much because that conversation's always been ongoing anyway. In terms of your like needs analysis and, and your other covers, like Catherine mentioned, the trauma is, is kind of bumping up now. Um, for us internally, we, we increase our TBD now a bit to, to offset some of that drop in income. Is there any of your needs analysis changed because of it? Uh, yeah. I mean, it's, if you're running with a, a junior that's that's got a low income and high debts and things like this, then yeah, definitely. Um, I think it's one of those things that sometimes you can only push it as far as it'll go and then you've got to say, well, there's risk to be had here. Uh, this is how much we can offset. You're never going to get, and the, the conversation I've always had with clients is, none of this is going to leave you better off than had you continued working. That's not what it's here for. It's a safety net. We'll give you the best safety net and the widest safety net we can, but it's not going to replace your income. It can't do that. Yeah. Um, so that that really just changes it to look. It was the Rolls Royce, and now you're getting the Corolla. You know, I mean, that's what's on offer. The car, yeah. the car yards out of Rolls Royces. Sorry, mm-hmm. still better um, than the disability support pension. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's significantly better than that. So it's it's just um, it, none of it's perfect. Uh, we don't live in a perfect world. It's just 
we've got to get what we can. We've got to know what you can get through. Most of my people have like significant medical and, and disclosure you know, yeah. to go through. And you could say, yeah, we're going to go here with this underwriter or go here with that underwriter. And yes, the product might be slightly better, but you know they're going to fall over. Yeah. You know they won't get through that. Yeah, for us, for us internally, I think that's what I probably underestimated in the, the time it takes to get up and running was all those extra questions you, you touched on, Catherine. Like we had to fully update our fact find to go, okay, what questions do we need to now ask that we weren't previously asking because it didn't impact the, any of the numbers, didn't impact the advice at all. But moving forward, it'll, it'll mean that one insurer is appropriate versus the other one moving forward because in the past, they were all very, very similar. I mean, in the past, 50% of our advice was driven towards underwriting pre-assessments. So we'd pre-assess everyone. Half of the people, we chose the insurer based on getting the more favorable pre-assessment. Moving forward, as you mentioned, Catherine, that's, that's going to be much more difficult because, yes, we're going to not have an exclusion here, but is you know, that lower percentage of income replacement okay and for for what cost adjustment so for us i mean the way i think about my business is very much process driven everything is very and it's it's very much a process and so i've just had to add like 10 extra processes 10 extra checks to go okay now if this product replaces 60 percent it needs to be more than you know x percent cheaper than the other product that replaces it you know all of these things that in the past, you didn't really have to think about like A or B. One's giving you an exclusion, the you know the other one's not. Well, happy days. We just go with the one who's not giving the exclusion. But now it's like okay, there's a whole bunch of different you know metrics. So I mean, touching on some of those features, are there any kind of specific features you guys are loving um, or or not hating as much? I guess. <laughs> oh look, I, I, th- I think features and all this sort of stuff at the moment. We're just. Everyone's in a state of flux. Every PDS is going to change over the next three to six months. Yeah. Um, yeah. I've, I've, I've seen how all the larger guys are treating some of the smaller new entrants and their opinion on what uh, long-term claims should look like. And, you know, whether they come down and the other guys come up and they homogenize the whole thing, we start getting back to that, you know, level playing field where we don't have this wide diversity between products. I think that's really likely to occur in the next year. Um, And likewise, on the other side, you've got all the existing stuff. That's going to get 20, 40, 50% increases for the next three, five, 10 years. Who knows? So sometimes you're just going to say, let's just be patient and wait for it to play out. Um, Well, assuming someone has some cover in place already. Uh, If you've got nothing, you've just got to get what you can, right? Yeah. Um, Yeah, I I absolutely agree. That's one of the the key things we've got advantages is we've got time before existing books start to reprice and adjust and, and, you know, all that side of things. And by that time that that happens, um, the little part of me goes, yeah, it could take six to 12 months before the insurers start to sort out uh, reconcile some of the differences so there's not such wild swings where they work out where they're losing market share and why and that kind of stuff. And is it still sustainable if they um, come up from the lows that they've set themselves up? Because some insurers have targeted the um, the Actuaries Institute reference product and I think they're realising that's a mistake where they've gone too heavy-handed in that. Um, yeah, I've got some really strong opinions on that one. Um, and uh, whereas the APRA recommendations were far less harsh and didn't require as many changes. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't mind. To be honest, I like the fact that we've got some difference in the market. 
I, I, I subscribe to the same idea that they're all going to come together in some form or the other. Um, but I actually like going to clients and saying, here's cheap and nasty and it's cheap. Here's not cheap and nasty and it's 25% more expensive. Which one do, would you prefer? This, and well, this is what I recommend. And this is why I recommend it. And here's the alternative. And here's all the other reasons why you probably could consider this. I actually like having those two very distinct differences yeah. um, between the products. We pre- previously um, used to have, okay, these guys have got a health benefit where you might get Qantas flights half price off. That, yeah. that was in the good old days. But yeah, that doesn't exist anymore. Or these guys have a profit share and that's about it. They're the same product underneath. Um, and there's one thing that we did, we've done differently moving forward for the next 12 months. We've said in every one of our SOAs, like, it's, to be honest, this is a bit of a guess. Like, this is what we think is in your best interest. And we've actually listed through, you know, two other products. Um, that, you know, if we recommended the cheap and nasty, we've looked at the more expensive one and we said, look, this is a reasonable alternative for you. Um, because it is a much better product, but it is, you know, 27% more expensive. Um, and so kind of pushing it back on the clients a little bit more to give them a bit more information to digest and go, yeah, you know, I agree. Let's go with, let's go with this one. Just a question. Are you, do you say to the client, well, you know, in a statement of advice or, or prior to this company does the or a company, company A does this at sixty percent? This one does it at seventy percent. It's going to cost you X versus you know it's going to cost you Y. Uh, pro- no, we haven't because we're, most of our decisions were based on underwriting pre-assessments. So that's why we don't. Moving forward in the next twelve months, we are we are saying if we pick well, internally. Our process is if we pick this product, we want to put in the alternatives, this other product, and this is their premium so we can state to – because, I mean, there's no secret. We all know who kind of the best featured product in the market is at the moment and and that's who we're using as that alternative and saying, hey, here's, here's the alternative. These are the most favorable in terms of um, the terms on the market. Um, in the past, we weren't doing that. And I think it's now because I'm looking at it, we've got this wide range of pricing in between one product and the next. I mean, um, company B, for example, is coming in at twice as expensive as company C. Um, but it's, I'm just picking letters. Happily chosen. I'm letters. just picking letters. <laughs> uh, so uh, if company B and C are twice as expensive, but pretty similar sort of product, but, you know, company B looks like it might not be around in a year. Um, you're sort of like, well, I'm not recommending it based on that, you know. Um, it, that's future, uh, and and that's a definitive thing that I can say. But as far as I don't know if C is going to fold up, um, sing a swan song. I don't, I don't know. That's right. I mean, in our SOE, we talk about the volatility in the market. I mean, we 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 have made a call not to use Company B um, moving forward um, for those reasons, but. We do put a bit of, bit of information saying that the, the, the income protection market is, they're all new products. It's like every phone company bringing a whole new phone out that they've never released before, they're going to change and iterate. Mm. So in our SOAs, we're kind of saying, look, this is kind of what we think is right for you right now. In 12 months' time, let's reconsider and see if, if it is in, the, in well, 12 months' time. Well, on that note, on 12 months' time, we've got the five-year renewable contract terms coming in. And that change, I mean, depend. there's still work to be done, but that has a huge potential impact. Yeah. Do you know if that's... Well, exactly. Especially if it's laid on top of these changes, right? So, Do you think it'll still happen? 
I'm hoping it doesn't. There's, I'm trying to work few, to make sure it doesn't. So. It would make a few head of product <laughs> that are saying it, it, they think it will. I think it will, but um, I think it could be tweaked. Yeah, if ten, that makes sense. Ten years. I mean, um, I've been really one of the things I'm really concerned about is um, I do a lot of work with parents, and uh, it, it's designed so that you're not supposed to lose your um, that guaranteed insurability as far as your medical history goes, right? But it's designed to reassess to change the terms more broadly, like in the group space you get through your super. That makes it really easy to because right now, if it's unsustainable with a guaranteed renewability, the only lever you have to pull is premiums. This makes things a little bit more sustainable, which so I get. But they're wanting to look at, of course, um, your occupation, your pastime, that side of things. However, big group, women or those on parental leave or study, we all know that they can't get income protection. There's certain categories that can't. Now, this measure is designed to present, prevent an insurer from taking on extra risk if someone goes into an uninsurable occupation. But if you're talking about parents, which is most people experience at that some point, if they're on parental leave, and the question to me is what happens when that five-year renewable term comes up and has to be renewed and your occupation is has to go as home duties? You could then potentially lose your income protection cover because you're in an uninsurable occupation. No one has answered the mechanics of how do we protect that? Um, and because we all know that going through parental leave, what about things like, you know, postnatal depression, the hips, the lower back, the neck, the exhaustion, all the things that people tend to pick up Women tend to pick up a lot of injuries in that phase. So, and then if they do get their cover back, all of a sudden they're going through underwriting again. So, unless that issue can but be solved, that's a problem. Ultimately, as an indemnity basis, they're not going to get well, paid. Yeah, we're, already, anyway. we're kind of at that at that space yeah. well, whereby we are penalising people for taking time off work anyway. Correct. That's and, what the new contracts are. Well, no, but there's a there's a huge variation, right? So some of the insurers, if you look, once again, parental leave, this is one of the areas I really dug into. Some of the insurers, the parental leave does not count as unemployment. So they will look at the 12 months before the leave started, whereas yep. one of the insurers that's come out really strong and favourable in people's minds, one of, uh, is saying that, um, for example, if you get experience an injury on your, let's say you're taking 12 months mat leave and you had a really unexpected thing happen, like it's not the standard three-month clause, right? Um, that particular, they're saying that we will only begin to pay benefits based on your, in, regardless of the waiting period, it's the late over the waiting period and your intended return date to work. That's a big problem in my mind because a lot of people take six to 12 months off and I've had quite a few cases where if the woman becomes genuinely disabled, both parents stop working because someone's got to care for the kid and if she can't do it, you've lost two household incomes. So um, that's really, really, really hard. So um, so that can cause a, a lot of stress. So things like that, I understand the intent. They're going, if you're going to take that time off, that's okay, but you've lost two incomes as a result instead of just the one. So those things aren't being protected. Also longer periods of time off. Um, there's a couple of insurers that have said outright, if you're off work for 24 months, there will be no claim payable. Like there's just yep. nothing, yeah. Um, because they're not giving you a a, um, a a way around to adjust for parental leave time off that's sufficient. So there is just like I said, there's so many layers that have to be have to be looked at. I mean, one thing. I mean, look, if I've got, this is not the scope of this conversation, but one thing I'd love is just a an insurable amount. Let's dial it down to zero and then bring it back up without underwriting premium yeah. holiday um, after a certain amount of time. Yeah, yeah, um, and some of the insurers have done that. Like they've got mm. features in there to either wave or like uh, pauses or they've all got their different features that they've addressed and some have done it really well and others not so much. 
That's right. And there, and there are some limitations to a lot of it as well. Mm. Like a lot of them have got limited to 12 months and um, so there are there are issues. I mean, but you're right, it, you know, getting back to your original point, we're going to have three products really, well, f- four if you talk about agreed value. You've got mm. agreed value, you've got your pre-October, you've got your pre-guaranteed or non-guaranteed renewal and then the, you know, 1st of October 2022 policies. And then you've got your group chaos. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's already chaos. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So like I said, this, this is why people are finding things complex and like the complexity is, is layering up. Yeah. Mm. I'd, lo- I'd love to um, kind of start to wrap this up and, and hear your thoughts on what does the next 10 to 15 years look like in the insurance industry? And, and let me just kind of preface this question. You know, I talk to a lot of advisors who think that, you know, you know, Automated underwriting or automated, you know, insurance policies will kind of take over, um, take over the kind of the underwriting space, um, and it becomes super simple, super easy. You just check your your Apple Watch and your, you know, your your bank details to see what you know if you're eating kebabs on a Saturday night, and automatic underwriting. Here's your policy. Big data. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean. I look at the Royal Commission and think there was a lot of places got penalised for the direct market as well and that's kind of scared people off. You've also got protecting your super space, which is uh, demolishing the insurance pools within super as well. Um, Insurance pools are shrinking. So um, I think I kind of have the view that it almost gets to a point where it has to get worse before it gets better. Like if it gets to a point where you go, wow, this is really wrecking something, it almost has to wait up to a certain point where change comes. And I think we've gotten pretty close to that point for a lot of people. So it's going to be depending on who your client is, the way you work. Is this something you dabbled in? Are you a specialist? But for the insurance industry as a whole, I see a lot of people either exiting or moving to the generalist space. But I also see a lot of opportunity. You know, and that's the thing, like risk and opportunity, they're, they're typically hand in hand, right? <laughs> and I guess risk is a double entendre. Um, but there's going to be innovation as well. There's going to be because, you know, um, necessity is the mother of invention. We've got, there'll be insure tech coming out, which will make things because the need will drive it. Um, when things get too painful, that's when people start to push their politicians and and seek for change. So um, need creates demand. And if there's less advisors and more people needing advice, you know, that's really good for those who remain. As long as they've got their business in a state that can work in a profitable way. Yeah. So, yeah. I'd love to hear your answer, Sean, but um, quick question, Catherine, just following on that. Do you think the insurance pool will, in 10 years' time, will be bigger than it is today or smaller? In 10 years' time, I think the source of the pools will be different. I couldn't tell you about the overall pools, but I think the breakdown that we have right now in terms of if you're allocating it between group, direct, retail advice, I think they'll be in different weightings. Hmm. Interesting. Sean, where do you see us in 10, 15 years? Yeah, look, the pool issue is the big one. Um, so ultimately you have to look at, well, one, are we getting enough advisors through the door uh, to do the job? And the answer is no. So we either go to robo-advice and tied agents. Uh, and I think once we take a step back and look at, you know, 
the government will sit there and say everyone can go and blow their money on crypto and do whatever they want. It's a you know endorsed industry because we can tax it. Um, but you can't have insurance without being able to sue somebody for giving you the wrong insurance, right? Um, it doesn't really make sense as to you could lose a lot more money doing one thing than you can do in the other. Uh, so why can't they directly access that? And I think there needs to be a decent general or a decent, uh, you know, uh, you go to uh, TAL to get TAL insurance, you get TAL insurance. You don't have to consider all marketplace. Um, and then you go and ask your meerkats whether TAL is better than AA, you know, um, the same as you would with any other insurance product. Uh, so I think once we start homogenizing the products and once we start getting to that point again, especially with this five-year renewal, there needs to be a lot of responsibility back on the client to say, okay, we'll go for it. And once clients get access, I mean, I got audited with Lyft and um, the fee that I charged the client was twice the, uh, the premium. Uh, and that's a classic, you know, example of why the current system is simply not working. I mean, um, they were happy to pay it and I, I gave them good advice in my opinion and in theirs obviously as well. But, um, is that good value for them? It's not really. I mean, they should be able to just log on somewhere and buy insurance. They'll still go through the same underwriting process and you need humans to do that to understand what humans do. Um, but siphoning that into a, is this automatically insurable or is this automatically not, um, uh, using advisors to do that through the laborious process that we go through at the moment is just not going to deepen that pool. There is no way. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just... So, just to distill that, you think in 10 years' time, we'll have a regulatory framework where it makes it easier for consumers to access direct life cover and not necessarily regu lower regulation on the advisors to provide that service. Correct. And advisors essentially become professionals much like an accountant, much like a doctor, where they exercise good judgment and their training and experience to give you a suggestion. But ultimately, if you follow that suggestion, that's on you, not on the advisor. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's what's really lacking at the moment is that you know, going, yep, got to be all professional, but sorry, you can't exercise professional judgment. Um, that's the piece that's missing. So um, that we haven't been given that flexibility to that other occupations who are classified as profession to do that without going through a gazillion hoops. Um, that's that's the key difference. And so it's either got to go remove that. You can't have it both ways in short. So I think that it's going to get them going, yes, there are these things in place and we have gone too far and, yeah, people need to be able to dem exercise professional judgment. Um, yeah. Or you give up on that trench, which I don't think is going to happen, um, and you just let that. And that, that could be the difference between the different arms and the different models that come out, right, between general and direct and in-group and that kind of stuff. So time will tell. Well, it's going to be a wild ride. It'd be, it's going to be fun. It'd be great if there's only 9,000 advisors and us three left uh, to service 30 million Australians, but um, <laughs> <laughs> keep us busy. Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> all right, guys, last two questions. When do you get time to do your emails? Um, I'm trying to outsource that. <laughs> so, okay, no, now yeah. that you don't currently outsource it, when do you do them? Do you do it throughout the whole, like throughout the day? Do you do it in the morning, at night? 
Yeah, generally I would say that I do little bits on the fly. So first thing in the morning, anything that's coming overnight, I clear or forward. So most things is just quick scan so I know what's going on and afford to my team to handle. Um, and that's the, the iPhone during the day, just flick it out so when I do look at the computer, there's not much to look at. Um, that's my strategy at the moment. So I, but on the weekends is probably my catch up with emails. Yeah. Sean, what about you? Exactly the same. You deal with them on the fly. If you can't deal with them in 10 seconds, you hit a flag and Microsoft to do picks them up. Um, Mm -hmm. But, you know, there'll be five of those in one day that I can't deal with right there and then. Yeah. All right. Last question. What's one interesting hobby you have? I just I just talk about insurance every waking moment of every every day. You don't have any other hobby other than talking about insurance. I do have a gaming <laughs> headset on. Does that matter? Yeah. <laughs> um, gosh, I've I've got tons. You know, all, all but I wouldn't call them particularly outstanding. You know, you got things like you know gardening, cooking, podcasting, and the like. But uh, we are a big Dinovember household. So <laughs> you big know, what? Dinovember. So there's this couple in the US 2013. Uh, we joined it back then, doing it ever since. So you know Elf on the Shelf? Most parents would know that. Um, it's the same with dinosaurs in November. So all the dinosaurs come to life in the house and they're, they are there to trash. You will see on the picture behind me, my, there's a picture of my son who's had his face drawn on during the night. One of the dinosaurs did that. So every night in November, the dinosaurs trash my house or get up to some kind of antics. And um, That's cool. Yeah, that, that's that's our thing. And, yeah, so November is a, a big month in our household. Awesome. Yeah. All right, cool beans, guys. I really appreciate you coming on. Um, last thing, how do people get in contact with you if they love listening to you and said, man, that Sean, he's, you know, I'll reach out to him giving gifts because he's in the hospital. How do they reach out to you, Sean? Uh, Sean at North River Financial, NOR Financial. Um, and from. what hospital do they send the flowers to? Uh, depends where I am at any given time. Uh, they transfer me around a lot. Uh, yeah. Cool. Just depends on when it, uh, where the food's good at the time. Uh. Yeah. And Catherine, how do people get in contact with you? Uh, probably the easiest way is uh, to shoot me an email, just kh at hcis.com.au or, um, you know, LinkedIn, you know, usual culprits, that sort of stuff. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Really appreciate your time. Thanks, Phil. Thanks. Thanks for joining us today. If you've enjoyed this episode and you think someone else will get value out of it, I'd love it if you could forward it on to them. And as always, we can continue the conversation in the My Risk Advisor Facebook group. All you need to do, open up Facebook and search My Risk Advisor and I'll see you in there.